Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. First, we start closer to home here now with the decision by the school board in Victoria to cancel the police liaison pro- liaison program in schools in Greater Victoria. Yeah, this program had been in place for a long, long time. Police officers in that liaison program in Victoria schools, they are now being kicked out of Victoria schools. I got Victoria Police Chief Del Manick standing by. Let's have a listen first to one of his colleagues here. This is Dean Duffy the police chief in Saanich. Here he is reacting to this announcement here to take police out of the schools. Last night's decision to cancel the school liaison officer program uh, is very disappointing. As you all know, uh, the Saanich Police Department has been involved in school liaison work for decades. Our officers' primary focus is, again, to build relationships, to build connections. Okay, I know the chief of the Victoria Police Department is also disappointed by this decision. Dell Manick, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Chief, thank you for coming on today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot. What is your reaction to this decision to take the police officers out of the schools in Victoria? Yeah, uh, similar to Chief Duffy, uh, I will tell you that uh, I'm extremely disappointed. And uh, really, it perpetuates a lot of kind of negative stereotypes. And and also, I kind of highlighted in an article that I wrote in our local paper on the weekend, is that a lot of the information, the decision that was based on uh, lack of information, uh, and a lot of the facts were misreported. And so here's a school board trustees making a decision uh, and essentially uh, blowing apart and not looking at the facts and uh, not really looking at the data, but it seems really to me to be politically motivated. Yeah, I really want to dig into that with you here, that you say that these school trustees who voted to take the police out, they may have had some some bad information here, that they got some wrong information about the program and how it is operating in Victoria's schools. What What is the the most concerning part of that to you? Like, what information was in front of the school board that you say was, was wrong? Well, I'll, I'll give one example. So the day yeah. they took the vote. So this is leading up to the, to the vote, which is just over about a week, week and a half ago. Uh, one of the trustees uh, had a number of claims, and those claims were directly related to the Victoria Police Department. And I'll, and I'll share one of them with you. Uh, they said that in 2019, Victoria Police submitted 128 incident reports for arrest, either at the school or on school property. 128. Well, we went and looked at our numbers, which, by the way, the trustees never even asked us for our data, which we would have shared with them. Uh, It wasn't 128. It was two. We had two youth that were arrested on school, at school, or on school property. I mean, there's a big discrepancy between 128 and two. Uh, You know, one of the other ones was they commented and said, well, in 2017, 
the school liaison program, uh, 4% of all incidents that the police investigated were student-initiated. And really what they were trying to infer there is that the police are in the schools and they're the ones who are initiating criminal complaints and investigations on all these students. Well, that's just simply not true. Uh, The reality is, and our data shows, that 82% of the calls to that school in 2017 were initiated by principals and staff, and another 6% were by parents. So the police are not in schools, uh, you know, initiating and and harming kids and criminalizing uh, worrisome behaviors. It's the opposite. We're building relationships, and we're there uh, making sure that students are safe and that we're engaged within the school activities. So we're actually supporting our students. And so it's, it's really being presented significantly differently uh, by the school board trustees, which is extremely problematic. Speaking of Del Manic, chief of the Victoria Police Department, Victoria, the latest city to remove police officers from schools, the longstanding school liaison officer program in Victoria, that is being shut down. Chief, let me play a clip here for you from the chair of the school board. Get your thoughts. This is Nicole Duncan, chair of the Victoria School District. Let's listen and I'll get your thoughts. We, you know, acknowledge that, um, you know, there's been lots of positive interactions through the SPLO program, but we also know that undeniably there are also uh, some students and staff uh, that do not feel safe with police in schools. Okay, so she says undeniably there, her words, that there are students and staff who feel unsafe with police officers in the school. I imagine there are some who, who obviously are opposed to police officers in the school, but I, I wonder how how widespread that is. Your thoughts, Chief? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things I think that we need to talk about is uh, we need to listen to everyone's voice. And, and everyone everyone's voice matters. Uh, but the um, school trustees, they had a review committee that for two years was discussing whether the police school liaison program should remain or should it be uh, cancelled. And they did a survey. The survey was completed by 3,800 respondents, which is mainly grade 9 to 12 students, parents, teachers. Uh, and it, overall, the results were positive to keep the school police liaison program. Yeah. Now, were there voices in there that were dissenting? Yes, there were. Those voices matter. Well, between uh, but Mike, you're never going to get 100% agreement on these types no. of issues or on any issue. So yeah. my, my request is, why are we not coming together and talking about it and, we, and hearing from these students or teachers or parents who feel that having police in schools is traumatizing and having a discussion on this rather than being uh, really not fostering inclusion, but yet exclusion and removing the police from schools altogether. I think we should be coming together to have a conversation, and I think we can work this out. We need a more of a common-sense approach to this issue rather than removing the police because of a small group of students and parents feel that uh, the police should not be there. Yeah, I'm getting some deja vu on this one because it was a very, very similar process unfolded in Vancouver when they removed police officers from Vancouver schools, the previous school board. Again, they did a survey, they talked to kids in schools, and there was large support for the program, and they, they brought they took the police out anyway. That decision was reversed by the the new school board i don't know maybe the same thing could happen in victoria but let me let me play another clip here for you del for from another an earlier guest on the show so this is hallelujah 
Hailu. She is a student activist. Okay, so she she is a young woman, young black woman we had on the show earlier, who wanted said police should not be in schools. And here's what she said to me. Then I'll get your thoughts. My perspective, being a woman of color, is that you're ending up making a huge group of students, black and indigenous people of color, completely uncomfortable um, understanding like the history that RCMP do have with black and indigenous people of color. What do you What do you say to her? I mean, I have no doubt that she did feel uncomfortable with police in in the schools. What do you say to her and others who who felt uncomfortable with the police officers in the schools? Yeah, well, I mean, her her views are valid. Uh, and, and I think that uh, it's important to hear all perspectives, including perspectives such as that. Uh, but I think that every community needs to really look at what their relationship is with their local police departments and really be um, positive. But I, I really believe that engaging in meaningful dialogue to work towards a solution is a better, better and responsible way to proceed. And I can tell you that here locally, the board of directors from the Muslim community wrote a letter to the school district trustees saying that we support police in schools because we actually want to see the police building positive relationships. So I think you have to look at it for each community. I, you know, I'm not trying to dismiss voices that are important to this discussion. I'm just yeah. saying knee-jerk reactions that perhaps seem politically motivated are irresponsible. And, and what, what really hurts, Mike, is that the students are caught in the middle of this. And, and we really need to have learned from some other districts, like you mentioned, Vancouver and others, that have gone back to installing the, uh, reinstating the program. So why we should we not be learning from where other districts have gone, and maybe they're a little bit more advanced than what we were. I just think that this was uh, uh, a decision that amplified the voices of people that don't support the police, and it suppressed many of the voices, including the results of the survey, for those that supported the police. And that's what doesn't sit right with me. Okay, we're following it closely. Del Manic, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Let's talk about that surprise interest rate hike from the central bank the other day. So we get this one. It seemed to come out of the blue. At least it seemed to me to come out of the blue here. Another quarter point increase in the bank rate remember back in january they were signaling that the inflation seemed to be kind of wrestling down a little bit so maybe we wouldn't have any more of these rate hikes and then here we go with another rate hike and people are getting letters from their bank now yeah, get set to pay more on your variable rate mortgage and line of credit got ron butler standing by to discuss first let's have a listen to this report global news reporter mike Drolet. Canadians working to catch up to inflation in interest rates once again saw everything come to a screeching halt. As yet another hike put more distance between Kate McLaughlin and her dream of owning a house. That's kind of infuriating to hear, especially with the cost of like grocery prices and everything has gone up. Um, it's like there's just no grasp on reality. Okay, let's talk about it now with my guest, Ron Butler. Ron is a mortgage broker. ButlerMortgage.ca is his website. Very pleased to welcome him back. Hey, Ron, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay, Ron, did you, you're a guy with your finger on the pulse of this stuff. I mean, did you see this coming now, another rate hike? We thought there was about a 25% chance, but 21 out of 23 economists across Canada said no. No, there wouldn't be any increase, but yeah. here we are, another bump. 
Yeah, here we are. What is the impact of that? What went through your mind when you heard that? Okay, two big disasters. Number one, it punched up fixed rate mortgages. Not many people take a new mortgage as a variable anymore. That That's over with. But fixed rates, which increased basically two and a half weeks ago, they started going up. Well, they ramped up yet again. And, and when this announcement happened, they jumped almost 20 basis points. Fixed rates are up. Therefore, every renewal the Canadians get, and they get thousands of letters go out a week, uh, every renewal the Canadian gets on a fixed rate, the offering is going to be higher starting in two weeks. It's just going to be higher and higher. And of course, the people with variable rates that where the, the payment goes up, yeah, it was just depressing. I mean, they thought it was over and boom, it's back. And hey, it's unpause. So will the Bank of Canada go up again? Is there another increase in the in the future? It's It's really hard. Oh, man. And they're warning there could be, this may not be the end of it, right? Didn't Tiff Mackle say, signal again, buckle up here, there could be another rate hike. Yeah, there was a rate hike in Australia. I think we'll see the Fed go up uh, in the United States uh, next time. It'll go up there as well. There's just been a round of increases uh, around the world, in fact. And uh, yeah, it, it here's the really crazy part. It's the stupidest loop in the world. If you increase interest rates and mortgage costs go up and they're quickly followed by rental rates go up that actually feeds inflation so by yeah. doing it it, it exacerbates it, it exacerbates inflation yeah there's a lot of people already hurting and and this is going to increase the pain i think let's have a listen to the finance minister here I'll, and then i'll get your thoughts ron so this is finance minister christian freeland asked about that pain that you just described there of increasing uh, interest rates here's what she had to say it's really hard and it is imposing real pain on a lot of Canadians and Canadian families. Absolutely understand that. Okay, so I'm not sure I guess she feels our she feels your pain. Right? Yeah. Like she, what, what do you think about her comment there? I, maybe she feels pain because I think she has rental properties in other countries and I think they're going up. Those mortgages are going up too. But at the end of the day, look, the federal, the finance minister, the whole federal government have one big difficulty on their hands that actually grows and grows every day and they never talk about it. There's less homes being built in Canada. Like 2021 was the record year of uh, home completion. It fell. Home completions fell in 2022. They're falling again in 2023. She might feel our pain, but the solution is going backwards. Unless you increase supply, yeah. this is just going to get worse. Okay. My fear, and I think for a lot of people, is could this lead to, you know, is this the pin that bursts a housing bubble? Like if people have taken on million-dollar mortgages, all of a sudden – interest rates are going up, they're getting hammered with interest rate costs. Do we see a surge of defaults on, on mortgages? Is, is that possible, Ron? It's not impossible, but it's yeah. currently unlikely. Uh, okay. Everything that we know about Canadians paying their mortgages is that as long as they have employment, they will find a way. I mean, they will yeah. just eat, eat less, go out less, do everything less and find a way to pay their mortgage. But here's the jeopardy. If the recession comes, some of those Canadians become unemployed. And at that moment yeah. in time, you can't make the payments. You're out of work. 
Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great point. Let's listen to a lot of politics on this, of course. You've got the official opposition conservatives trying to pin all of this on, on Justin Trudeau, that the inflation that the central bank is trying to wrestle down here, that they say it's the federal government's fault for overspending and racking up too much debt. Let's have a listen to Pierre Polyev here, federal conservative leader, reacting to this latest rate hike. Here's what he had to say, then I'll get your thoughts. If you're, if you're paying three grand a month, you could see your mortgage payment go up by $1,400. That's over $15,000 a year for a family that brings home 80 grand after tax. That vaporizes a quarter, or in some cases, even a third of their entire take-home pay, not for mortgage payments, but just for increases in mortgage payments. Okay, so he's talking there about vaporizing the disposable income that families have. They're already feeling the strain right now, Ron. This is a difficult economy. But like you said, I mean, you take a look at those employment numbers. Lots of people are working, but the 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 jeopardy here, as you said, is a recession, right? Like, could this potentially trigger a recession? No. Well, the recession is going to happen when it's going to happen. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. particularly believe this rate hike will will be the trigger. But you know what what Polyev says is true. I mean, we get calls from people who talk about that kind of an increase in their mortgage payment. And it's you, you just feel for the people. It's really, really hard. That is that is a hard thing to manage with food inflation running rampant, and in some cases, energy costs also up considerably. Inflation is slowing, but for some items, it's not slowing fast enough. Right. Speaking of Ron Butler, mortgage broker, ButlerMortgage.ca. Is your phone ringing off the hook over there? Are people are worried and freaking out. Well, it, it it sort of it's an instant reaction. When it goes up, you get a flood of calls over the two days because people are just worried uh, that it tapers right off. But here's what we do know, that this kind of unaffordability uh, in, in terms of getting together the payment for the mortgage, people will suffer through it. People will make it happen. But in some cases, those who, who are leveraged on rental properties, they will eventually have to make a move because if you're going negative cash flow on rental properties, you've got to take action someday. And that may be the pin. What we talked about right now, those continued increases in the payments for mortgages on rental properties, that could be the last straw. That could be the moment in time when people say, I just got to sell this rental. I can't, I can't make this math work because I'm worried it'll go up again. Yeah. Okay. So you're thinking people could end up selling properties, especially if they're a rental and income property. I think that's the vulnerability yeah. as opposed yeah. to people who live in their own homes. Yes. Right. Right. What about the, okay, let's take a look at it from Tiff Macklem's point of view here, governor of the bank of Canada, who's taking a look at uh, inflation. We did see inflation starting to sort of settle down earlier in the year, but now you've got an economy that still seems to be overheated. And I guess this is what he's trying to get under control. I mean, do you think he's doing, like, what do you think he should do? do you, you obviously think that he should not have raised the rates again, correct? I, I think that he could have been more patient. Here's what we know yeah. about rate increases. The full effect is not felt for, in some cases, 18 months after the hiking cycle begins. Like, he could have had a bit of patience. He could have waited to see if the recession is just around the corner at the end of the summer. There's it's because the recession fixes everything. The recession wrestles inflation to its knees. That is a universal truth. So sure, he could have been more patient. Absolutely. Yeah. How about the stress test that's in place right now? Is that is that going to be effective in preventing people from getting in and over their heads here? 
Well, that's the thing. It has been effective. It was obviously necessary because today these rates exceed the stress test rate from a year ago. So if you you, you should be stressed because now it's gone past yeah. the stress test that we had a year ago. But yeah, they're not taking away the stress test. It's going to stay. Uh, we're going to see that for a good long time yet. So what's your advice to people as, as a mortgage broker for people who are maybe shopping around for a mortgage or line of credit? Like we see another rate hike warnings that there could be, might not be the end of it, might go up even higher. What are you advising your customers? The main thing we advise our customers is don't take the bank's first offer on renewal. There's never been a time it's more important to shop hard than now. There's lots of rate sites available. You can go online, Google best rates in Canada. You'll see all kinds of comparison rate sites where you'll be able to find it easy to do shopping. You got to hunt for that best rate today. It's your only choice. And finally, consider if you're in, in trouble, if you feel real pressure, consider reamortization. It's not my first choice because in the end, you will eventually pay more interest. But if you just have to get those payments down and you're at 25 years on renewal, consider asking your bank to go back to 30 years. Okay, that's a very interesting thought. And and what about when you go into, when you call that bank manager, that loan loan manager at the bank, How what sort of reception do people typically get? Like if you say, I want to talk about reamortization like you described, or I, look, I need a better rate here on, on this renewal. You're killing me here. I'm going to take my business elsewhere. Are they generally receptive? Like, do you think people are afraid to ask for a better deal? They shouldn't be afraid. It's important. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's there's no quality difference between a mortgage. It's just a payment. So here's what to do. Make sure you have a quote. Make sure you go somewhere first. So when you contact your existing lender, you can say, look, I've got this right in my hand from the other bank. They're willing to offer to me at this lower rate than your renewal letter. That's your leverage. You need that first. And as for reamortization, that that's available. Some banks are more eager to offer it than others. I, I, it's hard for me to describe exactly how it's going to happen, but it's available. We know it's available. We see it happening every day. So just be forceful if you feel you need it. Be forceful, be intense, and go up the food chain. If the first person says no, keep going up the line. Talk to managers. Talk to more important people. At the bank. Do you think that I, I really feel for younger people who are trying to break into this housing market, maybe buy a first home, especially in this city? I mean, in Vancouver, it's it's brutal. It's unaffordable. And now you suddenly have another rate hike. This is kind of impossible for so many people to get into it. Do you think people should start looking, I don't know, lower their expect expectations or if they can't afford Metro Vancouver? look beyond, shop, consider other cities, other communities to buy a place? Well, in, in the, although they, prices did come down in the Fraser Valley, you know, and, and some of them went right back up again in the last uh, three months, four months. Uh, it's still very expensive in the Fraser Valley. Vancouver is almost unaffordable. But yeah. here's, here's what we have to start thinking about. At what point do different levels of government, Davey B's trying to do some things, they haven't really got off the ground yet, but at what point do we have a combined federal, provincial, rational policy to at least stop prices from going up? You hear the word affordable out of these politicians, but you never hear that phrase, prices have to stop going up. Never hear it. Ron, thank you for your thoughts today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike, appreciate that. My next guest is Paul Derry. Paul has had an incredible life as a police informant. His testimony was crucial in putting several members of the Hells Angels behind bars. 
He subsequently entered the witness protection program, which is a story in itself. And Paul is a man with a, a price on his head. The angels put out a contract on him, and Paul is now speaking out about his experience. He's standing by. First, let's have a listen to this report. Global News reporter Ross Lord. For this longtime police informant, the simple act of breathing feels like a luxury. I'm still alive. That's always a good thing. His birth name is Paul Derry. He's a career criminal who testified against the Hells Angels for a murder in Nova Scotia, helping send this man and three others to prison. Derry has had three name changes since entering the RCMP's witness protection program 20 years ago. He's suing the RCMP and the federal government, claiming they failed to prepare him and his family for living in witness protection. All right, let's discuss now with Paul Derry, and I'm very pleased to welcome Paul to the show. Paul, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing good, Paul. Thank you for doing this. I think it's amazing how you're speaking out about your experience here. Paul, let's, first of all, let's talk about, about your life when you got into a, li- a life of crime. Is that something that started when you were quite young? Uh, yeah, it started pretty much simultaneously with my life as an informant. So I was a little rebellious brat on a military base in, in Greenwood, Nova Scotia. And, uh, you know, rebellious, smoking weed, doing, you know, small petty crimes. And uh, the time, the, you know, the RCMP decided to be a good person to cultivate, I guess. So you were like a, a police informant pretty much from, this, from the start, would you say, even when you were quite young? Uh, Fifteen years old was the first time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's been a long road. Let's talk about your involvement with the... Uh, with the Hell's Angels, so you were were you with a, a, another like one of these puppet clubs of the Angels, like the, the the Rockers, I believe was the name of the the gang you were in. Is that correct? No, no, I was never in okay. a gang. I was I was an informant the entire time and uh, infiltrated many bike gangs. Uh, Bacchus Club was the first one. I think they put the contract out on me in '91. That would be the first one. Um, uh, I was around back when the AHA uh, were in Halifax, were just the 13th tribe. Um, so, and I've infiltrated the Hells Angels a couple of times as an informant and as an agent. How many guys went to jail as a result of your cooperation with police, would you say? Uh, I would say hundreds over the years. Whoa. Uh, in, in the last one, there was four main defendants, but yeah, from 15 on, probably hundreds. Wow. Were you ever, like, did the Angels or these any of these other gangsters, did they ever find out that you were an informant? Uh, there was suspicion, uh, you know, on a number of occasions. I, I went to prison in 90, 93, I believe. There was some suspicion when I went into prison. I was doing a seven-year sentence. Um, I got connected there to... Uh, a Hells Angel and convinced him that I wasn't a rat, and that helped me out. Uh, but yeah, there's been lots of times there's been suspicion, but never any proof until the last uh, operation went bad, and uh, the RCMP kind of threw me under the bus, and I ended up testifying. So, yeah, I want to get into that and and some a bit of your, the lawsuit that you've launched as well, Paul. Speaking to Paul Derry, police informant, his testimony key in putting several members of the Hells Angels behind jail. Were you, when you were an informant back then, Paul, and you, you mentioned that there were some suspicions about you, 
Man, what was your life like at that point? Were you always looking over your shoulder? That must have been a terrifying experience, and you could be caught at any time? I think it's more terrifying now looking back on it than it was, yeah. was during it. When you're caught up in it, I don't know if you really notice it as dangerous. You're playing the game, and, you know, it's a lifestyle, and you can just get caught up in it until one day you realize it's not a game, I guess, as you get older. Yeah, you put the, uh, do you ever, what is what is this like emotionally and mentally for you to basically have a, a career as, as an informant? What what was that like? Um, yeah, I, you know, I don't, I don't have any real regrets about it. Um, I, I think there's lots of things I might have done different. Uh, maybe not, maybe not done it for the RCMP. Uh, I kind of wish they wouldn't have got me at 15 and did it. But I can't say it wasn't. It didn't have exciting moments throughout it. So I'm not sure how I feel about it. I can tell you it's taken a stress on my life for sure. But. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about the Hells Angels and their continuing operations here, Paul. I find this really interesting that here in British Columbia, we've had a recent government seizure of Hells Angels clubhouses. And I wonder if, if you think that will in any way disrupt Hells Angels operations here. Let's have a listen to this report here. Global News, you'll hear from Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth here on the seizure of these clubhouses. Then I'll get your thoughts. Let's listen. Uh, the province will be coming after uh, assets that are obtained by the proceeds of crime and are used by criminal organizations. In this case, it's the Hells Angels clubhouses, three of them in B.C., this one in East Vancouver, another in Nanaimo and in Kelowna, now under new ownership. The, uh, the three clubhouses are now the official property of the province of British Columbia. Okay, Paul, what do you think of the government seizing these Hells Angels clubhouses here in B.C.? Do you think that will in any way disrupt their operations here? Uh, you know what, it'll, it'll put a dent for a minute, but, you know, there's a lot of good folks doing doing a good job and, you know, out, out members out there trying to get, get the job done. But the bottom line is that they're never going to have enough resources. The laws aren't with them uh, so, no, the Hells Angels are going to continue to wreak havoc. And we're seeing that in the streets right across Canada with the meth problem and, and fentanyl. I mean, you can attribute it all to the Hells Angels. You can attribute all of it to the Hells Angels? Do you think they're that that prominent in that trade? Well, at least in the meth, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Paul, let me ask you about how long were you in witness protection? Uh, I was in, I went in in 2000, got kicked out in 2009, and, you know, you're in and around it always. I testified for 18 years in that last trial, so um, so there's a lot of trials, a lot of a lot of having to deal with them even after I was kicked out. Uh, the last trial didn't end until, I think, 2000, going into 2019. Is there a, is there a price on your head, like right now? Are, are there people in the Hells Angels that want to see you? gone uh yeah there'll always be a price on my head if, if not just by the hell's angels there's many others that would like to do it and for all those years and so how do you live your life now like are you you're still are you still in witness protection now or no no yeah no. how do you how do you live your life now 
I, I don't. In what way do I do I run and hide, or is that what you're? Wondering? Yeah, I mean, are you are you still sort of basically hiding out, or do you? I know that I don't think you've ever done an on camera interview for television, right? Yes, I have. I did a documentary for uh, uh, on Disney. Uh, it was on Locked Up Abroad. I did another one. That one had my face shown. Wow. Um, the one I did another one with my face covered back in two thousand nine, but. I don't really hide. I mean, I got more life behind me than I do ahead of me. So, yeah. Do you ever you ever find yourself looking over your shoulder or worrying, or does you try to put that behind you? No, I, I, I advocate for uh, changes in in both the program and and, and fighting the Hell's Angels. Uh, you know, I poke the bear wherever I can, and and yeah, I'd like to see them taken down. So, whatever I can do through social media and and uh, any other means that I have. I, you know, I still try to make a difference. All right, we continue my conversation now with Paul Derry. Paul is a longtime police informant. His testimony was crucial in putting some members of the Hells Angels away in jail for life. Paul, let's talk about your years in witness protection. And I know you got a family, right? You got kids? How many kids you got? I got nine. You got nine kids? Wow. Nine kids. Nine kids. Okay, that's a big. That's a big family. Paul, let's talk about your experience there in in witness protection. Can you? What was that like? What you have been like a new name, new identity? What can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit. You you, you get a new name for sure, new identity. Uh, unlike in the movies, you're not you know you're not paid forever. I testified for eighteen years. I wasn't paid for eighteen years like most people would think. You you get. Uh, you know, a new place to live. You you get you know, a modest income to get yourself uh, started, and then you're on your own. And basically, uh, you know, they're around to get you to and from court. But okay, you've been more to it than that. you've been quite open about the the whole experience and the impact it had on on you and your family. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know you're. You have a lot of criticisms about how the the RCMP witness protection program is it was managed for yourself and your family, right? What were some of the problems there? I think the biggest problem is that they don't have anything set up for uh, the collateral damage. You know, someone like me who's been a career informant and been in and around the crime world, or or even some guy that's flipped, you know, because he's in trouble. We all know what we're getting into. We we are out of the crime world. But that, that doesn't mean the families that end up coming in with you have any clue. And, you know, the mental health supports aren't there. The educational supports aren't there. Um, you know, are they trying to make a difference? Sure. Are they putting in much effort? Not really. Um, there's been some good changes, you know, over the years, but a, a long way to go. So, you, You've yeah, written and talked... Yeah, when you have a when you have a child that comes in, you know, two years old, four years old, or you know, eight years old, you know, and they're and especially you know as they reach teenage years, like how do you explain to a teenager, you know, who came in maybe at eight and then by thirteen you're trying to explain to them, you know, like no, you can't use that name, forget that name, no, you have no relatives, and then you have no mental health support to help figure out how to deal with those issues. So. So they got a long way to go in that. And they knew those issues because, you know, Gerald Schur, who runs Wood Tech in, uh, in the U.S., or started Wood Tech, I mean, he's dead now, but 
he brought these issues to light back in the 80s. So it's not like the RCMP didn't know all this. We talked earlier about the, the contract on your head that there were members of the Hells Angels that wanted you dead. Could you talk a little bit about about how you manage that? Because I know you had a you had a plan for your family, right? Like if like if a hitman showed up at the house, what what, what was the plan there with your your kids and your wife? Oh, it's always the same plan. Just get as far away from me as you can. I mean, my you know if I have one fear, probably it would be that I get killed in front of my children or that any, anything would happen in and around my children. If they want to kill me, kill me in a parking lot somewhere away from my children. Um, other than that, I'm, you know, yeah, get as far away from me as you can. I mean, I can assure you I'm just going to run towards them, let them get get it over with. So. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the the lawsuit that you filed against the RCMP. What is the status of that lawsuit? Well, it's, it's been a journey. I mean, you know, the RCMP don't like to uh, admit any of their shortcomings. So uh, the biggest fight has been I've been trying to get it into open court. And they've been fighting me that uh, on that for three years now. So we're still we're still at the place where we're trying to uh, get a judge to allow us to have this take place in the open so that uh, others can see. It. And I don't mean I don't mean things in the open that are is going to you know risk anybody's lives, but. You know, definitely the shortcomings. You know, we've agreed to redact anything that would, you know, reveal means and methods or or anything that would, you know, cause harm to anybody or the program. Um, but there can still be lots of information out that shows the changes that are needed. And, and uh, yeah. you know, they like to hide that. They, they prefer to fight and hide it. Right. The RCMP are fighting this lawsuit. They filed a statement of defense where they deny any pre- breach of contract with you, they turn it around and say any problems that you had were largely your fault, and which I know you dispute. Would you say that, like, do you regret going into the witness protection program now? Um, I regret it. I don't regret, I don't, I regret going into this witness protection program. Nah, you know what, I, I don't regret it. I just like to see it changed. Yeah, um, I don't re- I don't regret it because I've got to go inside it. I've got to see it and, and I can actually make a difference and hopefully see some change. Um, hopefully some other children won't have to go through what my children have had to go through. Um, I don't I don't really care much for me. I've never really stopped being me like I've I've had three new names and, and I still walk as Paul Derry and I don't really care. I mean, I don't care. If it, you know, I'm not going to be hiding. You know, the many should never be hiding from the few. And I'm certainly okay. not going to live my life any different. I, you know, I'm a little cautious, but no more cautious than I did when I was in the world and in, in that world. Like I said, I had a contract put out at, uh, on me in 1991 by the Bacchus Club, so I've always dealt with that. I went into okay. prison thinking with people thinking I'm a rat. So, you know, with children, you know, uh, innocent family members, the program's not good for them. Paul, we're going to continue to follow your case and your and your case going forward and i thank you for your time today thanks for coming on you bet mike thanks for listening to the mike smith show podcast can't wait for the latest episode to drop tune into the show live from nine to noon on 980 cknw want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment send me an email mike at cknw.com thanks again for listening